are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. We call some of those folks sommeliers, wine aficionados, wine experts, wine gurus, and the most commonly used title, boring. Welcome to Grape Encounters. We love wine just as much as anyone else, but while we crave those special wines that are silky smooth and go down so easy, we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. There is one overriding premise here at Grape Encounters. Wine pairs best with life. Accordingly, your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time, how to have more fun with your wine, where to enjoy wine the most, how to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. You know, the other day somebody asked me a question. They said, how do you feel about drinking wine in the can? And I said, I drink wine in every room of the house, (laughs) including the can. Uh, That wasn't actually what they meant, however. There is a huge surge of wines now being packaged in cans. Uh, I haven't felt really good about this, i got to be honest with you, because I'm one of those people that's into the romanticism of wine and the whole you know, procedure of opening the bottle. I don't like synthetic corks. I really don't like twist-off caps. I'm a traditionalist for sure. But we have to accept the fact that things are changing. And wine especially is coming to us in a lot of different packaging options. And so I came upon a competition that is going to be taking place shortly in Boonville, California, in the Anderson Valley. And I have tracked down the director of the competition. His name is Alan Green. He's been in the wine business for more than 45 years, uh, which includes directing and organizing the Mendocino County Fair Wine Competition, uh, which he helped start in 1979. My goodness. And if you look at a photo of him, he must have been like 12 years old when he started it. But anyway, he's also created and hosted the California Wine Tasting Championships. That was from 83 to 2012. And get this, he has collected since 1980 more than a thousand different wine cans. Alan, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, It's really funny because I reached out to you a couple of weeks ago, and then I got super busy. And then I get this text message one evening. And you're with my friend Tom Rodriguez of Artivino. And he's going, David, you've got to get this guy on your radio show. I had already reached out to you. So that was, yep. that was yep. pretty funny. Actually, mm-hmm. he didn't – in a text message, you can't actually get that level of enthusiasm. That, I, that was probably me embellishing. But anyway, you've known uh, Tom for a long time? Almost 20 years, yeah. We, we play baseball together. Isn't he a great guy? Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of talents in a lot of different areas. Good Lord, I know. And, you know, the latest thing, he's a pig farmer. Yep. <laughs> 
He's a he is a man of all seasons and very much, by the way, into baseball. And you're into baseball, right? Yeah, I, I have a, a team, and Tom played on my team until a couple of years ago when he retired to go back to his art and winemaking and pig farming. Pig farming, yeah. I haven't uh, actually had a pork loin from Tom just yet, but I'm looking forward to that opportunity. So anyway, gosh, you've been in the business a long time, the wine business, and, and certainly very deeply involved in competitions. What in the world caused you to create this canned wine competition? I mean, it just seems like, you know, you're out there in the Anderson Valley and, you know, it seems like you guys out there are more traditional as I am. Why canned wine? Well, as you, as you said, I, I became a can collector, a wine can collector. That was when I started my winery in 1980. Somebody gave me a wine can and I've just been collecting them ever since. I mostly get them from beer can collectors who don't want them because they're not beer. (laughs) So about four years ago, I applied to the Guinness Book of World Records because I had 450 different cans at that point and got uh, my plaque from the Guinness Book of World Records. But since then, in four years, I've added almost 700 new wine cans. So it became obvious that this was something that was really taking off. And with my background in competition, somehow it just seemed like uh, sort of a fun thing to do and to get ahead of the eight ball a little bit. You know, what really shocks me, Alan, is that up to four years ago that you were able to collect as many cans as you did because, I mean, you know, wine in cans has generally up until recently been, you know, something that has been a little hard to spot. How did you go about finding all those canned wines? Was was it a concerted effort or just every time you saw a canned wine, you'd, you'd buy one? Well, no, it was, it was a concerted effort because, like I said, I, I got them from beer can collectors usually who, who didn't want them because I had been involved in beer can collecting before that. So I knew all the, the beer can collectors and there were a lot of wine cans in England during the 80s for some reason. Huh. Uh, there are a couple hundred. Uh, all the different supermarkets had their own brands and extensive lines, all sorts of different varieties of European wines. In California, I've got some cans from the 30s. When they started putting beer in cans, they also tried it with wine. The 30s? Yep, but they were steel cans. Yeah. And it was wines like Port, White Port, you know, uh, me. Muscatel, and I don't think they were very successful. I think the linings on the cans didn't hold up, and the wine ate through the the lining into the steel. But those those so those were abandoned pretty pretty soon. But in the eighties in California, a couple wineries started to make little little cans in the hopes that the airlines would pick them up. Oh, because they obviously are you know, good for that. They're light lightweight and. You know, don't take up a lot of space, easy for the flight attendants. But I guess that didn't fly, so to speak. And <laughs> No pun intended. Uh, no okay, pun intended. all right. So then it just sort of faded away. And, and, of course, back when they had all the the wine cooler craze, there were a lot of wine coolers, you know, flavored wine. And there's still a lot of that com- coming around in the, the next incarnation of wine cans, a lot of spritzers and coolers. 
So I can see that as a, a really good entry point for canned wine, you know, spritzers and coolers, you know, as opposed to a very serious winemaker putting wine in a can, you know, spritzer, cooler, that seems pretty cool. And going back, by the way, to those, you know, much older wines and cans, I mean, one of the reasons why you'll never see me buy a canned vegetable is because I can taste that metal, you know, whatever it's, whatever the can is, tin, whatever it is, you can taste it. So what's being done right now, Alan, to, you know, keep the can from imparting flavor into the wine? Because that would obviously be the number one concern, I would think. Well, of course, there's a lot of research going into that, just like there was a lot of research going into the different uh, plastic on the screw caps, yeah. right? There's a plastic layer between the the aluminum or tin or whatever they are and the wine. And it's the same with beer, of course. There's, a, there's some sort of a coating. I'm presuming they use different coatings for wine than they do with beer, but I honestly don't know. But a lot of people have started doing experiments in Australia with uh, with the coatings. So they're sort of ahead ahead of us, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you know, first they were first with screw caps, and there's a lot of canned wine coming out of there now, too. See, the Australians are really, they're screwing up everything. <laughs> you know, all that, you know, the beautiful tradition that has surrounded wine drinking has just like been blown apart by the Aussies. I don't get it. Anyway, hey, we're talking to Alan Green. He's the competition director of the International Canned Wine Competition. And that is coming up very soon. The, the date on that, Alan? July 24th. Yeah, that's right around the corner. We're going to come back in just a second. We've got to take a little break. But I'm going to be trying to mooch a job as a judge there <laughs> when I come back. You're going to turn me down. I know it. But anyway, uh, you know, you, you got to ask, right? If you don't ask, you, right. you don't succeed, right? We can use you. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. Okay, we're going to talk about the competition more in general in a second. And I got to tell you about this picture of Alan's collection of wine that I'm looking at right now. Holy samole. All right, back with my special guest, Alan Green. And uh, we'll return with Grape Encounters right after these extremely important messages. Do you ever wonder what goes on in the Grape Encounters studio while you're listening to the commercial break? Research. Yeah, that's what we do. Research. You can never do too much research. We like to talk about... The Oregon Wine Experience's Founders Barrel Auction on Friday, August 23rd is an afternoon of elegance. Sample wine futures from Authentique Wine Cellars, Hewitt Cellars, Laurel Ridge Winery, Left Coast Estate, Russell Prayer Rock Vineyards, Stone Griffin Vineyard, Vulcan Cellars, plus many more. The action takes off as you bid on the opportunity to win a case or the whole barrel of Oregon's finest wines. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia... Her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Garya into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. 
At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio. Since we aren't a TV show, we'd love for you to see and learn more about our incredible wine country town. Check out visitatascadero.com. Once you see how good we've got it, Maybe you'll plan a trip to see us in person. All right, I am staring at quite the photograph. It is a sea of wine cans. There's hundreds of them. If you had asked me, I don't know, a year or two ago, I would have probably said there's probably no more than like 50 wines available in cans. Not so fast, David Wilson. Wines in cans are really taking over a big part of the wine landscape, and that is what has stimulated the International Canned Wine Competition, which will be taking place in Northern California in July. And I am privileged to have on Alan Green. He's the competition director, but no stranger to wine. He is a winemaker, a wine grower, and he has headed up some very formidable wine competitions. Alan, so let's go back to that Guinness Book of World Records record. That sounds redundant, but I think I said it correctly. So, So you still hold that? Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any competition. Nobody wants to even challenge you. No, I don't think anybody else is collecting wine cans. Well, they will, but you've got a head start. That's the yes, thing, right? You started doing that in 1980. What yes. is that? Uh, that's almost 40 years ago. Yes. Holy smoke. <laughs> there, were, there weren't very many then. It was easy. Yeah, and these guys who were collecting beer cans are like going, here, uh, Alan, I know you're into wine. Take the wine can. <laughs> yeah, I, I just put an ad in the beer can collector's magazine for wine cans, and so I got all sorts of them. That is, that is funny. So you would open up your mail and there'd be an empty can in there. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> pretty, Boxes of them. That's pretty neat. How many you got now? You got 1,000? Is there more than 1,000? Uh, I'm over I'm over 1,100 now. Oh, my gosh. And you know what? It's like shooting fish in a barrel right now, right? Because everybody's like joining the wine and can movement. Yeah, there's a huge a huge wave. Between me and Robert Williams, we put together a list of, of over 250 producers of canned wines. Let's give Dr. Williams, it's uh, Dr. Williams, he's a PhD, and he is your lead judge, right? right. Organizing the Correct. judging. Oh, by the way, we finished the last segment with me about to make a shameless 
play for a position as a judge at the competition? We'd love to have you. Could I come? We, we really? need somebody to, to taste the spritzers and coolers and stuff. So no, yes, I don't want that. So no. <laughs> I want the serious wines. You're going to put me in spritzers. What is that, a punishment or what? No, that's what's left. That's what's left? Yeah. Oh, man. Could I at least taste some of the serious competitors? Oh, we might be able to work that out. Oh, gosh. <laughs> spritzers and coolers. It's really funny. I, I was... Um, Judging a competition, it was the first time. It was a major competition, my first time there, and they put me in sweet red wines. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, see, so you practiced. That was torture. That was absolute torture. Actually, no, I shouldn't say that because it was a really hot summer day, and, you know, those go down pretty easy. Probably came in cans. I don't know if that's the case. All I know is that at the lunch break, I was wandering around the parking lot. You tend to, with those sweet wines, you'll kind of swallow those, you know, more than spit them. If you're drinking like a canned Cabernet, I will, you know, swish it around and spit it. But if I'm drinking a spritzer that tastes delicious... Let's face it, those things are good, right? Yeah, they're sweet. They're made to be really easy drinking. Yeah, and, and even though they're, they're pretty low in alcohol, right? Most of them, yes. But even though they're low in alcohol, you're likely to consume more of that, I think. It's just my impression there. We were talking a bit about the cans themselves, and what I think has kept me away from wine and cans has been the fact that most anything that I ever taste in cans, I can taste the can. And I'm even talking about soft drinks, like if you pour yourself a bottle of Pepsi and then a can of Pepsi, I think that I know the difference. I've never done a blind tasting, but I think if you gave me Coke in a bottle, Coke in a can, Pepsi in a bottle, Pepsi in a can, and so on, I think I would be able to distinguish them. But I haven't tried. What do you think? Well, Dr. Williams is doing that. He is in the middle of a series of those exact tests with canned wine. Really? Okay. With wineries that make the same wine in a bottle and a can. Okay. He is doing that right now. So when that gets finished and published, that will help answer that question. I'd be really super curious about that. And as much wine as I do taste on a regular basis, I haven't honestly had a lot of canned wines. And when I say I haven't had a lot, I've probably had 50, okay? Which is probably a lot for most people, but for somebody in the wine business and a wine journalist, I am derelict in my duties. Well, if you get some people sending you samples, save the cans for me. You and I could team up. Yeah, that'd that'd be great. I'll tell them that if they send the wine to me, that I will be responsible for emptying the can on their behalf and then getting it to you so that they can be part of a Guinness world record. Perfect. Okay. All right. Let's jump into the competition. The competition is taking place in a little town that I really love, Boonville. Do you live near there? I live in Philo, which is next door to Boonville. Okay, great. And that's sort of in between the 101 and then the, Mendocino, and the Mendocino, right? Coast, yeah. Yeah, which is so beautiful. And, you know, we go up there every year to participate in Wine Song, which is coming up in a couple of months. And as I understand it, you've been a participant for a long time there, right? Yeah, that's about 30 years old. And I was president of the Anderson Valley Wine Growers Association and helped start that event. In those days, I remember a bunch of us sitting on the lawn and getting together to buy half a case of wine. But now, of course, it's a huge event with 
oh, lines yeah. from all over the world and some real fancy uh, getaways and cars and all sorts of cool stuff on the on the auction. It's such a great event, and I just always encourage people to check it out. Just Google Wine Song because it's in such an idyllic location in the Botanical Gardens. Right, Mendocino and, and, Botanical Gardens. And they Gardens. do such a good job there. There's entertainment everywhere you look. There's great food. And especially if you're a Pinot lover, this is really an event you want to go to because it's very Pinot-centric. That's not to say that there aren't a lot of other wines there, but Pinots are certainly the central focus because a lot of the wines there are coming from the Anderson Valley. And the Anderson Valley has just developed this astonishing reputation where Pinot is concerned. I kind of see the Anderson Valley paralleling the Willamette Valley up in Oregon in that both of these regions are just, you know, exploding in popularity. And, and by the way, I reject most Pinot, but I happen to love the Anderson Valley Pinots. I think they're just fantastic. You've you got know. good taste. Well, there's a lot of different Pinots out there, right? Have you ever come to the Anderson Valley Pinot Noir Festival? I have, okay. uh, No, I have not. I have not. I need to, right? And yes. are you involved in that one as well? Well, I, I was in, until I sold the winery. Why did you sell your winery? Well, I've done it for 40 years, and I got a nice offer, so I took it. Well, you got guys like Charlie Barra up there, right? I think he's like in about his, his 72nd harvest right it's a, it's all a big number. It's a big number. And that guy, you know what? He's he's probably got more energy than both you and I put together. Could be. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. Yeah, he is amazing. Anyway, my guest right now, it's Alan Green, the competition director of the International Canned Wine Competition. And I'm also going to press you, Alan, for your opinion on some of the better canned wines. I'm going to see if I can get any really important information out of you when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. If you're topping off your burger with grilled onions and blue cheese, pair your work of art with a spicy Malbec. Nothing beats a buttery Chardonnay with grilled corn on the cob. I'm ready to find you the perfect bottle of white for your next get-together. Pack up the cooler for this weekend. We've got canned wine and beer ready to throw on ice. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers! I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. 
Savor Oregon's finest wines at the Oregon Wine Experience's Grand Tasting on Sunday, August 25th. Work your way through the tasting tables and enjoy an array of delicious culinary bites. Don't miss this special opportunity to sample wines from all corners of Oregon in one unique location. The wine pours start at 2 p.m. Plan your experience today. Go to TheOregonWineExperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine, and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and if you had told me five years ago that I would be devoting much of my show to a canned wine competition, I would have said, I don't think so. But you know what? I am succumbing to the realities that there are a lot of great wines that are being put in cans now. Probably nobody knows more about it than Alan Green. He's the competition director of the International Canned Wine Competition, which is coming up in Boonville, one of my favorite little towns, on July 24th, 2019, at the Mendocino County Fairgrounds. That's correct. That's a cute fairground there, too. I like Boonville in general. I, I just like the way the name sounds. It sounds like it's right off of Green Acres. <laughs> No, they used to have horse racing and stuff in Boonville at the fair, but not anymore. Why did they name it Boonville? Because it's in the boonies, or is there another reason? No, it's named after somebody. Daniel? No, somebody yeah, Daniel Boone? Somebody <laughs> okay. else. That's backcountry there. What is that highway that runs from... From Cloverdale Yeah, to Cloverdale, exactly, yeah. Yeah, Highway 128. 128. That's a beautiful ride, especially in the springtime, right? That Anderson yeah. Valley is so incredibly picturesque. Gosh. All right, so let's get serious about canned wine for a second. Do you have any idea how many canned wine producers there are right now? That's probably a hard thing to know, right? Well, uh Dr. Williams and I have, have been working together to put a list together, and there are more than 250 on our list. So how can you have 1,000 cans if there's only 250 on your list? Well, 250 producers Oh, currently. producers. Okay, so they all produce multiple cans. Right, and there are a lot, a lot of the cans that I have, you know, those people are no longer around because I've been doing it for 40 years and got cans going back to the 30s. So currently there are about at least 250 producers with more coming every day, and I'm Sure, there are plenty we don't even know about. Well, you know, there's not a day goes by that I don't read literally another press release about another person who is producing a wine and can. Right. And now I think what's really super interesting is that some of the really, and I don't want to say more credible, but serious wine producers are doing wine in cans and making no apologies about it. That's right. Is it basically about convenience? Is that what it is? Well, I think that's number one for sure. A lot of people also like the fact that aluminum is so recyclable and you're not you're not wasting corks and foils and you know glass is recyclable but not enough of it gets recycled. By the way, I want to just interrupt there because that is probably one of the great tragedies in the wine business. We have all of these bottles of wine being produced and in very few instances are those bottles actually recycled? They're never reused. 
And there are just a few cases now where in certain areas, bottles are being reused. But it's such a huge tragedy. I mean, I mean, here are these beautiful, wonderful bottles, and they can't be refilled. They I don't get it. They can't be melted down and, and reused, remade into more glass. You say they can or they can't? They can. Yeah, they can. But, you know, I'm learning more and more, and I've read some stories about areas that have basically said, don't even put your wine bottles in the recycle bin because they're just going in the landfill instead. Yeah, I know. It's That's terrible. That's a thing that really needs to be addressed. So, you know, from that standpoint alone, I can see a real plus where wine in the can is concerned. So I just want to ask, you know, a couple of questions. First one is this. In your opinion, do you feel that the can imparts some sort of interfering flavor to the wine? Or are you convinced as a winemaker, a grape grower, that the can is innocuous? I think if it isn't innocuous now, it will be soon. Okay, fair enough. I think uh, research is definitely uh, going on to improve the linings, and I'm sure they they will conquer that. You know, in terms of canning wine, you can can it without a lot of air in it, right? right. So it's one thing about wine. So there's no, so there's, there's no, there's a fair amount of headspace. Right. There's no oxidation with a can, right? There's no oxidation. And my opinion, if you open it, pour it into a glass and let it sit for a little while, it's going to be just as good as in the bottle. Okay. We'll find, All right. we'll find out when Dr. Williams finishes his, uh, okay. his research on that. All right. So, so another, the, another question is this. There was a press release on the same day that I read about the competition that stated that people prefer smaller cans. What's that about? Well, I think that's it's like me. If I'm by myself and I open a 375 can, 375 millimeter, half a bottle, I probably don't want to drink that much. But I'm happy to finish off a 187 ml or 250 ml by myself. So in terms of convenience uh, and not wasting any, it's certainly not something that you can just leave a half-empty can lying around and expect it to be. Well, okay, there's a good point because you can't reseal it. Right. But what is interesting is, is that in the beer world, we're seeing more and more beers being put into bigger and bigger cans and bottles, I should say. So and not being uh, a beer drinker, I don't get that. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. We just have a minute or so left. So let's talk and wrap up about the canned wine competition. You've got wines from several countries that are going to be there. Uh, seven or eight countries already. We have a wow. total of 125 entries so far, and we're still hoping to get maybe another 25 or so. Okay, great. And it's all blind tasting, right? Completely blind. Okay. Sounds like panels, fun. Panels of judges, three judges per panel. And you're inviting me, but I have to judge spritzers. <laughs> you're going to be assigned to the spritzers and coolers. Sorry about that. Get in touch with my feminine side for sure. Oh, no, I'm stereotyping. That's terrible. Yes, you are. You know what's really funny That's is... Trouble. Well, I, I laugh because I, I served somebody a Moscato from Italy last night. And, you know, it's frizzante and it's... It's got a lot of residual sugar in it. It was, just, it, but as I tasted it myself, I go, God, this is so good. It's so delicious, <laughs> you know. Go. So we can't make fun of the spritzers. Now, I, I guess one last thing is, as I understand it, the wines can enter the competition as long as there is some grape component to it. That's what right. percentage has to be grape? As long as there's any grape juice in it, because if you look at the ingredient labeling. 
it doesn't give you the percentages. So as long as there's some wine in there, grape wine, it's legit. Man, you're easy peasy. Well, we just don't. We're not judging pineapple wine. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't knock pineapple wine, Alan. That's pretty good stuff. Well, there is some of that in the can. What is that? Ma- Maui Blanc, right? I think that's called. Uh, yeah. There's something called Oceans Away, I think. Oh, I don't know. Uh, in a can. Uh, and th- there's orange wine in the can, but no, it's got to be grape wine based. All right. So you're probably not going to stick your nose out here, but I'm going to try anyway. What is, maybe you could name a few of the best serious wines and cans that you've tasted. Are you willing to go there? Well, sure. Underwood is a a brand that's from from Oregon that's pretty well distributed, and they make several different uh, varieties that are all pretty good. But Pinot Noir is quite good, even though you don't like Pinot Noir. Well, maybe Uh, I like it in the can. Yep. Companion Wines makes a very nice, uh, almost dry Riesling and a couple other varieties. Down by you, there's field recordings that make uh, very interesting wines. By the way, I know those guys, and I actually have a brick-and-mortar wine shop of my own, and I carry field recordings most of the time. Carry the cans or the bottles? No, I carry the bottles. I I carry the bottles. But but they're a very serious winemaking operation. Right. They make very, very good wines. Okay. What about – I want to know about Crazy Legs. I don't think I've tasted that. Well, you have it in your collection. I do have it in the collection. Okay. And then you've got something called Babe Rosé. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They still and make that? They, yeah. And they make Pinot Grigio and a, and a red also. All right. Yeah. And one last one. I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the photo right now. This is where I'm getting my material. I see. Fiction. Fiction is, is from your buddies, the field recording guy. Oh, oh that's theirs? Mm-hmm. They always have clever names, those guys. Mm-hmm. All right, Alan, we're going to have to cut it off here because I've got one more segment. i got to wrap up in just a second. But, gosh, I've enjoyed spending this time with you. Well, you likewise. Were, that was fun. What a great, great story. I, I had fun. Really but fun. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay, well, I'm going to get in touch with you and, and uh, see if we can't work it out so that I can come up there and judge that competition or maybe another competition that you're involved in. But if people want more information about the canned wine competition, I guess they just go to cannedwinecompetition.com, right? That's it. That's, That's it. it. And I have a lot of industry people that listen to the show. So, look, if you've got wine in a can, it's not too late to enter, right? you got to get your entry in by July 18th. Get it done. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, thanks for coming on. I, I so appreciate it. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. All right. We're going to be back with a wrap-up on Grape Encounters Radio. My thanks to my special guest, Alan Green, Competition Director of the International Canned Wine Competition. Check that out. Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Nothing beats beers and burgers. And with so many to choose from, we've got the perfect cold one waiting for you. Serving up salads at your cookout this weekend? Add a dry rosé to the table for a perfect pairing. When I'm the barbecue grill master, I've got to have a cold lager in my hand. Hey, grab me another. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine and More. Cheers!
Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. People often ask, why hasn't someone tarred and feathered Grape Encounters host David Wilson for breaking so many of the old rules? Simple. No one likes the old rules. Okay, back with Grape Encounters Radio. A very interesting topic, this whole subject of canned wines. And just looking at the sheer number of wineries that are putting wine in cans now tells me that this is not going to die anytime soon. I was doing a little bit of research just to see what is going on trend-wise with canned wine, and I was actually pretty astonished. I found some data that was published by the Nielsen folks. You know, they rate everything from TV to, yeah, wine. And looking at the trends in wine packaging, now get this, okay? In the last year, the change in percentage in terms of dollars spent by consumers on canned wine increased by almost 60%, 59.5%, whereas with wine in 750 milliliter glass bottles, the increase was only 3.3%. The other big winner is premium boxed wine, and that's up by 15.6%. So pretty amazing. You know, it makes me really feel like we should give some of these alternative packaging options a try. And I'm going to make it a point to really drink more wine and cans just to report back to you what I feel about those. But it also leads me to a discussion about what we're drinking in general. And if there's one overriding thing that I can tell you about where we stand right now versus where we were a few years ago is that the more things change, the more things stay the same. The number one selling wine by varietal in America continues to be, all right, think about it. What is it? What is it? It's Chardonnay by a long shot, actually. And then it's followed by Cabernet Sauvignon. But those have always been the two leaders for as long as I can remember. But the other wines that are always up there in the group as well are Sauvignon Blanc, which is about, say, fourth or fifth place, Pinot Gris, which is definitely in the top five, and an interesting contender that's really moved way up in its standing 
is red blends. And I am just so excited about what's going on in the red blend market. But anyway, let's uh, just give you a rundown of the top 10. And not in any particular order, by the way, but I will say Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon at the top of the list. Red blends now coming in third. Pinot Gris and sparkling wines pretty close to neck and neck. I'm going to talk about sparkling in just a second. And then on the list, Merlot, White Zinfantel, still popular. Moscato, still incredibly popular. And it's been growing in popularity as more millennials come into the market and show a preference for sweet wines. And by the way, I want to say this about Moscato. As much as it might seem to a lot of people to be a you know, sort of frivolous and not very serious wine because it's generally sweet. I, I really, frankly, I love it a lot. And I was just enjoying a glass of Moscato the other night, and I was just thinking, gosh, this is so incredibly good. It's not the same experience as having a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon or something that might be considered more sophisticated, but enjoy the Moscatos, great ones coming out of California, and definitely try the Moscatos that come out of Italy. And I'm not talking about the carbonated ones, whether it's natural or otherwise, but just a a straight Moscato. A, A lot of times they're what we call frizzante. They've got a little bit of fizz to them and it's completely natural and it's completely irresistible. All right. Pinot Gris is so popular and frankly, I'm not sure what the rage is about Pinot Gris because there are so many other white wines that I'd like to steer you to, uh, one of which is Viognier, which uh, I think would be the most popular white wine in America were it not for the fact that most people can't pronounce it because it looks like the word should be pronounced Viognier. It's a V-I-O-G-N-E-R, but it's Viognier, and they're making so much Viognier these days, especially out of California, but other parts of the country as well, and it's really a, a, a totally delicious wine. Another one, an alternative in the white wine category that I want you to look out for is Grenache Blanc. Grenache Blancs are gaining steam. I think they're less prissy, if I can use that word, than Viognier's. Viognier's can sometimes be a little flowery, a little too floral for me. You have to exercise caution and judgment when you choose a Viognier. If you get the right ones, they're going to be delicious. But the Grenache Blancs just seem to be a lot more consistent to me. It's a white wine. That's the word Blanc. But you're going to see more and more of it on the market, and it is really delicious. Another one in that category is the Pinot Blanc, and and really it doesn't taste anything like Pinot Noir, thank goodness, because I'm not your biggest Pinot fan, but Pinot Blanc, really, really delicious. There are so many white wines uh, that are out there now, even uh, Torrantes, it's an import generally speaking, but gosh, an incredibly beautiful wine. So venture out of your comfort zone. Now going back to Chardonnay for just a second, I think one of the reasons why Chardonnay is actually on the rise right now is because Chardonnay has had its good times and bad times. For uh, quite a while, it got to the point where Chardonnay was way over oaked, way too much oak on the wine, and it was really a turn off to a lot of people. Too oaky, too buttery. The butteriness comes from a secondary fermentation called malolactic fermentation, and it's just not everybody's cup of tea. So if you don't like Chardonnay, do yourself a favor and get yourself an unoaked Chardonnay. You might be really, really surprised. Uh, the other places where you've got to do some exploration is in the category of sparkling wines and in the rosés, of course. No, 
Rosés are not white Zinfandel. They can be the driest of dry wines. They can be very sweet as well and everything in between. And they are not a varietal, which is interesting because I saw a major publication call Rosé a varietal. But there are just a gazillion different varietals that can be made into Rosés. Don't rule out Rosés just because you think you don't like them because if you don't, it's because you haven't tried the right Rosé. Same argument goes for sparkling wines as well. There's such a broad range of sparklings from Proseccos to Cavas to California sparklers to champagnes. And you'll find a broad, broad range from sweet to bone dry. And there's going to be something you're going to want to try. But just remember this. If you don't like Chardonnay and you don't like Pinot Noir, don't go for champagne because they're typically made from those grapes. Look at the ingredients that go into the sparkling. You won't be disappointed. That's my advice for this week. We'll be back here, same station, same time next week. Look forward to talking to you then. Well, this episode of Grape Encounters is in the bag. It's hard to imagine you haven't missed some episodes, so why not hunt them down at grapeencounters.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast sites. Grape Encounters Studios are located in beautiful Atascadero, California. That's Central Coast wine country, baby. Come visit us. But be warned, you won't want to leave. That's okay, we have a spare bedroom. But it's 55 degrees and full of old bottles. Music